1: Reach was designed for externally focused churches seeking to reach more people in their communities. With Reach, you're giving your congregation the tools needed to tell their friends about your church on social media and help people in need around the world all at the same time. Every weekend, each check-in or review on social media results in a donation to a kingdom-building cause, allowing your community to be on mission both locally and globally with the touch of a button. Ready to put your social media in the hands of your congregation? Visit Cosley.com and sign up with the promo code PODCAST. No pressure, no contracts, and we'll even waive our $99 onboarding fee. That's Cosley.com, promo code PODCAST.
0: Mamma mia,
2: that's a spicy meatball.
1: That's all I'm saying. Indeed, it was a spicy meatball. It was a spicy meatball. So uh, welcome, everyone, to the Church Planner Podcast. I am your host, Pete Mitchell, and I'm here with my little buddy, Peyton Jones. Oh, oh, he comes right out of the gate swinging today. Dude, what I love is how like that offends
2: you more than most things. Like, I don't know why. You know, it's, it, I should be thinking, like, you're Hoss, I'm Little Joe, come on, little buddy. Remember that? That's a good thing. You just called me Michael Landon. Whether I'm Paul or Little Joe, that's a compliment. But my short man syndrome gets in the way of all logic. It's the short man syndrome. Which it you, is. You've got a bad case of it. That's all I'm saying. I have a really bad case of it. There is no denying that whatsoever. Oh, hey, only professionalism on this podcast, my <laughs> friend.
1: If you're wondering what in the world does this podcast have to do with church planning, sometimes we... <laughs> what What is going on? <laughs> Oh, my gosh, man. What was that? All of a sudden, Voxer went off. That's rad. So my (laughs) phone, your Voxer, what a pair. I tell you, man, I tell you. Okay, so here's the deal, guys. You're listening to the Church Planet Podcast. At some point, we're going to get to some Church Planet information. But until then, this is our chance to basically catch up on each other's lives. Peyton, I believe you have a story you want to tell them about me
2: no it it oh oh yeah yeah yeah. i do actually i well i i should not be
1: you said it as a joke like (laughs) you didn't think i was gonna go there before we started the podcast you're like i'm gonna tell people that pete called me crying (laughs) because no one thinks that he (laughs) cries and you thought i wouldn't go there
2: look man we're best friends so like that's what we do but I was teasing Pete before, hey, I got smack talk. You know, I'm going to talk about how you called me crying, which now makes me look like a very bad person. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it it was a joke because there's this thing about how Pete Mitchell is a machine. He has no feelings, no
1: heart. Here's the thing that people got to understand. Okay, guys, I'll tell you. Here's what happened. And the reason why I called Peyton crying, I had to put down my dog this week. Right, This was my dog, not the family dog, not my wife's dog, my dog, right? And I work at home, so my dog's always with me. had to put her down this week. I'm a wreck, and really what I was calling Peyton for was to get some support, and all he did was jab me. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) He just laughed cruelly (laughs) on the phone. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, what I was calling for is I really wanted advice on how do I talk to my kids about this, like, I got a six-year-old and a two-year-old, and I I never had to deal with this before. So I like, and I needed to get it out. Which, by the way, I can honestly tell you, I am so grateful that I was able to call you because I just I needed to get out all that you know angst and hurt and yeah. all that stuff. And because by the time we were done talking, I mean we were cracking jokes about other stuff. So here's the
2: reason why this I had is. I seen Wind River the, the night before, so I knew what to do. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I, I've been tell me for this very moment right now. Tell me, was that not like the greatest movie? It was rad, but it traumatized my wife. So thanks. Oh, oh and by the way, I, just so you guys know, I'm on the phone at the food truck. We're trying to decide what movie we're going to see. I'm going to say, hey, uh, I, I, Andrew goes, oh, but it's not going to be one of these. Mo-. No, no. It, it, Pete said, so I call Pete. Just to double check. Hey, Pete, um, by the way, uh, uh, we're thinking of seeing Wind River. Can I take Andrew to that? Or does that, is that going to be like, is there a bunch of gores or this? No, no, she'll love it.
1: <laughs> There's not a and lot goes, of gore. I took
2: Jamie to it. And, and so anyways, on the way out, she looks at me and goes, I will never again trust Pete's recommendation on a movie. <laughs> <laughs> what What was so gory about it? Uh, it wasn't gore. It was just some heavy stuff in that movie. It's heavy stuff, but that's not gore.
1: Yeah, come on, your wife's stronger than that. She can take it. (laughs) It's heavy. What about and 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 what was rad is is you know what about the what what about the gunfight at the OK Corral was that not rad? I love it, man. It it was great. Oh, dude, I'm telling you, it's the same guy who did Sicario. He does the same thing in that movie. It's
2: it's awesome. Oh, yeah. yeah my favorite line in that movie, favorite line, was uh, when the guy says, uh, I'm hijacking Smack Talk. Sorry. I'll, how I'll how, about, how about
1: when the guy says, uh, how do you know what your death face
2: looks like? Huh? Come on. That's <laughs> pretty good. Come on. <laughs> he goes, I don't know. I'm making it up. <laughs> <laughs> <That's> <laughs> the, the part I loved was where the guy goes, hey, man, I figured... You know, I used to be angry at the world and wanna you know, wanna wanna uh, rage on the world and fight fight the world and he goes and I eventually realized the world would win. So um he changed his tactic. I love that line and I love which I just butchered. So it was like I gotta see it again because I don't remember that one. It was when he was talking to a little kid in the back of the cop car, and then the other oh, line, okay. my favorite line of the movie was and this is an odd line to have as your favorite, admittedly. But was where uh he says to the girl, he was just one of the, the the cops, he just looks at the the FBI agent and he's like, You didn't see that just then. Now when they started flanking him. Oh yeah, yeah. I love the it. it was just the way it was done. Well where it, you're you're trying yeah. to guess and he goes, You didn't you didn't see that. You didn't see that just then. Now, that part was brilliant. I see the conversation when they're sitting under the swing.
1: That was a brilliant conversation. Yes, it was. That was just, so you did, you knew how to handle my loss of a dog. I knew I was prepped. <laughs> I was like, I just saw this. I, I know what to do. My loss of a, of a close family member. You knew how to handle it. And, um, yeah. So my question to to Peyton was, I was like, Dude, I don't know how to bring this up with my kids. Like I literally, I couldn't go home after I had to have my dog put down. Cause I'm, I'm a wreck, right? This is, this is my girl. and. I certainly couldn't go home like that because I'm like, dude, my kids are gonna be traumatized from death. They're never gonna know how to deal with death when they see when they see karate man <laughs> crying. So I was like, you know, how do how do I bring this up to them? How do I talk to them? And and you gave some very wise counsel. You're like, you know, first of all, don't don't talk to them for a day or two. You know, just tell them <laughs> she's at the hospital, which is partially true, right? Yeah, that's where you left her. That's where I left her. Last time I saw her, she was there at the hospital. And I got to be careful how loud I say this because I still haven't had the conversation with my kid, which was what I was going to tell you. Like they yesterday, they never even brought it up. They never even like you know where's Lucy? None of that. None, they're just
2: Did, didn't we say about your your youngest daughter that you'd be like, hey, I talk to you about Lucy, and she'd be like, who's Lucy? But dude, my youngest daughter'd be <laughs> like,
1: yay! She never liked Lucy. Lucy always bothered her. But Luke Luke's the one I was worried about. He's a six year old, and and. So far, I don't even know if I have to have the conversation. Right now I'm thinking I may never have to bring it up.
2: That's rad. Man,
1: I had I had the best. But it's, oh I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. L- let me let me tag this on so people understand our sense of humor and why you can poke fun of me <laughs> about crying. Because what do I say to you when your mom dies? Hey, do you want me to send you the helium dolphin so you can float it around the funeral? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Which is so what my family does. I cannot even tell you some of the stuff that you, happened. You showed my that mom text passed. to your brother, and
1: your brother was like, oh, he gets it. Because, yeah. So people need to understand we understand each other better than most people. And that's why we can say these things to each other. And it's not like neither one of us are offended.
2: Pete and I are deeply broken. I mean, you know, when my mom passed, my brother, I, I had given my mom, uh, she, she didn't get to read my book and she was very, very ill. And so when my book came out, she was too ill to read it. But when church zero came out, I know it's your mom, but like my mom was so proud and everybody has a mom. It doesn't matter who you are. It just feels good when your mom thinks everything you do is rad, sure. right? There's not many other people do in life. You know what I mean? So I felt this hollow absence when this book came out as well as the book is done, as much as it's, you know, people were quoting it and whatever. Still, it was kind of like the one voice that I really want to hear was my mom, you know, because she was so proud and that was gone this time. So when I was visiting her, I knew that I was visiting her um, to to die. I knew that before I got on the plane and you know, uh, we were seeing her out and I brought her a copy of the book, um, cause the book had just dropped and, um, she, it was there and my, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can, after my mom died, it, it's just the way my family is like, we were both destroyed internally. Like I, I, I'm, I still can't say I'm completely Right. But one of the first things my brother does is goes and sticks the book on my mom and goes, "Hey, here's a picture for your book," you know, because everybody kept taking <laughs> pictures of the book in like Bono's hands, the Pope's hands, Billy Graham's hands, you know, Bill and Ted, Wayne's World. They, there was all these pictures of you know you the Lord not. of the Rings, Indiana Jones. <laughs> Immediately, let's get a picture and 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 we laughed, you know, because that's how we handle grief and it weirds other people out yeah. i'm sure there's something terribly broken in us well but you know what's what, what's funny I, I i'm gonna throw this
1: out there we've talked about this on the podcast stephanie who's in the platinum bible inner circle which you can find all about at bible circle.com she in fact pete this episode is
2: brought to you by <laughs> bible inner
1: she said um yeah when tim asked me to start listening to your podcast My first thought was, are these two guys even saved? (laughs) Now We we are are saved. We are twisted. We are worked, but we are saved. And now now you understand, ladies and gentlemen, why people wonder, are we even saved? But I had uh, one of my assistants, I asked him to listen to to our podcast this last week. So I was like, dude, this is a good one. You'll really like it. He's never listened to our podcast before. (laughs) I kid you not. He's sitting over here right by me, right? He says to me, he goes, I can see why people wonder if you guys are saved.
2: I cannot believe that was his response. That, that was is so his, rad.
1: That was so his response, man. How,
2: how long has he been a Christian,
1: Pete? <laughs> He's probably like, How long has Pete been a Christian? Is he really a
2: Christian? Let's let's think about this. Yeah. So that is so dang funny. I had to share oh that gosh. with you. Oh, that's hilarious. So, so what was really funny though, was this week I had a great story and I was preaching at my sending church this week. And, you know, which is always just rad, right? Like I love my sending pastor. He's a really good dude. And it was an honor to be there. And what was even cooler was in the audience. Um, the, the couple guys over at refuge, long beach They still go there in the midweek just to hear from our sending. It's how they feed, right? So they go to the mothership. And, uh, and so while I'm preaching, I look and Mike Bonomo's out there and Chris Langham's out there. And, uh, and it was just good. You know, Jonathan Ferguson was there. He, he was at Refuge Long Beach for about a year. And it was just really cool to like look out and be like, these are my peeps. And I even said like, Hey, Refuge Long Beach in the house, boom, boom, point them out, represent. But afterwards we just, we just sat on the steps and just chilled and talked and laughed. And people were coming up talking, you know, Hey, thanks for tonight. And, or, Hey, I went to refuge San Pedro. It was incredible. It was in the hood. You know, we, we, we were going to go back. That, that's the most radical thing we've ever done. Blah, blah, blah. So it was really cool, you know, and, and, but we're sitting there and this, this woman comes up to us. And she, uh, she was maybe like 60 years old. I don't know, you know, and she, uh, you know, her appearance was, um, such that, you know, you can see she had been through a rough time and, um, she was missing a lot of hair. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't know who she was, but she was talking. She was saying, Hey, they're doing a, uh, a, a, a rem- you know, a, 20 year recognition service for, for Pastor Bill. Cause he's been there 20 years and, uh, and, <laughs> Um she she said uh as she was talking, she just threw out as an aside. Uh I don't remember what it was. It was something in the uh, you know, I'm not talking about this, but I mean, but that one right there is very handsome. I mean, I'm just being real. I can't and she's talking about Bonimo. <laughs> and and Bonneau goes, Oh, and like, what funny is any other group of people, it could have been real awkward, but we just started rolling with it and laughing and like. Oh, that's rad. And Mike's like, yeah, but he looks at me and goes, but he calls me ugly face. That's, if you don't know this, like my nickname for Bonimo's ugly face. Every time I see him, every time he what's up, ugly face? You know, and people and, wonder uh, why
1: people wonder if we're saved or not.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, you serve with me. Uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, Chris Lingham's the evil genius. You know, he's that, um, what's that guy mastermind or? What's the guy on that where he's megalomine? That's, that's who Chris Langham is. The guy with the Mm. really big head. Yep. Uh, so anyways, we, we all have nicknames. Uh, mine is extremely tall man. Um, which is a good nickname to have. And, uh, anyways, but it was just the funniest thing. And then at some point, one of us said something about, well, you know, he is a good looking man. And then the lady starts asking, what do you like him too? Oh (laughs) no, it just got super. Funny, it got funnier and funnier because we're all popping off and making cracks. And you know, now that I'm telling the story, I kind of realize he had to be there. It it was funnier in my head than when I started telling it. But I love you, man. <laughs> but it was just good to see those guys, man. I I tell you, you, you read Paul's epistles and. When there was just something sweet, like I wanted to be nowhere else, and sitting on that step with those couple of guys, yeah, you know, it's well, just good, man.
1: I think one of the thing, and I was actually thinking about that because that was the day that that I had to have my dog put down, and I was actually so grateful that you had to drive all the way up there because you had time to talk. Normally, we can't have a midweek
2: conversation like that. And I'm like, when when you called, I was getting off the 73 onto the 405, where it's like. To go maybe like three miles takes 25 minutes. Yeah. And so I was a very captive audience, man. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> like I got nowhere to be, nothing to do. Yeah. It
1: it actually kind of reminds me of, uh, you ever see the fugitive Harrison Ford? Yeah. Remember when he, he's trying to find the one arm man and he, he finds a guy with the name that he's looking for and he's in jail. He's a one-armed man. Maybe it wasn't the name. It was just a one-armed man and he was in jail. And it ends up being a black guy. And he knows the guy's not black because he wrestled with him. It was a white guy that he was looking for. And the guy's like, well, you got me out of jail. We might as well talk about something. <laughs> you know, right. it's like, well, I, I got nothing better to do. That's that's your your time on the freeway right then was, well, we might as well talk about something. I got nothing better to do, but <laughs> sit on the freeway for 25 minutes. Little did I know it was like a real need. Right. So, I mean, oh. you know. And anyone who's lost their dog knows what I'm going through. Oh, and gosh. then, and then to top it all off, you're like telling me your experience of losing your cat. <laughs> and what's my comment to you?
2: Uh, yeah, well, first off, but that's a cat. Like, oh man, it's so stupid. You know, um, you know we've you know these little things. And I tell them, you know, when I got kicked in the teeth by that church, it wasn't the church that made me move. I stayed there for like almost a year being a firefighter, and then I watched my cat die in my living room. And that destroyed me. And Andrea came back from America, and I'm like, "We got to move. You know, I can't be in this house anymore." I'm telling you this story, going, "Hey, man, I relate." And you go, "Yeah, but it's just a cat."
1: (laughs) Dude, we're so messed up.
2: It is messed up. But this is this is this is why we found each other, Pete. God knew.
1: This is why we only have each other.
2: Yeah. When my when my dad died, still, I'll never forget to this day that me and my brother just popping off jokes and we're dying inside man like we're dying but we're cracking all these jokes and uh and and my my dad's best friend he got so mad he's like hey man (laughs) he just started yelling at us it's not funny because he's he's taking it totally the wrong way and we're we're trying we had to explain oh sorry man it's really messed up this is how we grieve you know and my family it's you know we laugh well shoot man after being a firefighter and a nurse gosh man i I was thinking about this the other day. I was just thinking about, I, I made a comment to somebody about the amount of death that I have seen from a young age. I was 19 when I did my first bit of CPR on a 39 year old woman and watched her slip into eternity. And from there on, man, the amount of, I can't remember what it was, if it was Banner brothers call or what, where I just, I would mention and I threw out there, I've seen some horrific things. I think it was, it was on that, that call when the guy talked about hospice care and, and I didn't go into it then, but I mean, you know, the amount of horrific things that I've had to do as a firefighter and experience. And before that as a nurse and then as a pastor, like dude, like death has been a big part of my life. And, uh, and I forget that sometimes I, I, just that triggered, so I started seeing memories of things during that Banner Brothers call, and I just, I, I kind of was taken back. Like, man, I have dealt with. So that sense of humor is kind of a little bit of a. It's a coping mechanism, my friend. Hmm. Mamma mia, that's a spicy meatball.
1: You know, <laughs> you know, what we should have started off our uh, our smack talk with. I'm just saying, we should have had the appropriate music.
2: When we talked this week, I told you that my favorite clip we don't have, and I need to go grab it. If you guys want to grab it, email it to us. Um, calm down, ding diddly ding diddly. They did their best, shoddly-diddley. Gotta be nice, diddly diddly. Oh, ding 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 down hell crap. <laughs> That's my favorite one. <laughs> lander's cussing is what that's known as. Oh, yeah i totally
1: forgot it man i totally yeah we we got we gotta find these man i think
2: I got. did to, you ever take the ones i put in the Dropbox box for you did you put other ones in what i played <sighs> tons in it well like a couple months ago you got to take all those out i don't i don't
1: know that i have any other i don't think i do have any other ones
2: yeah oh man i i, I we need to stock your trout pond man that's all i'm saying And still, our favorite right now? I made my money the old-fashioned way. I got run over by Alexis. (laughs) It is my favorite right now.
1: Totally my favorite. And so with that, boys and girls, you really need to join the Bivo Inner Circle. Because unless you're going to get run over by Alexis, you're going to need to make some extra money. And we've got a way for you to do that. Head on over to BivoInnerCircle.com and find out how bivocational pastors and church planners are making a living. Scott. Let us know what you think. Hi, I'm Scott Blair, church planner. If you are anything like I used to be, you probably woke up feeling alone and somewhat isolated today, wondering to yourself, why isn't there just one place that I can go to discuss the things I really care about, like bear attacks, Sir Mix-a-Lot, Game of Thrones, and even Christology? Well, I'm here to tell you such a place now exists. This is not make-believe. I would not joke about a thing like this. Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones have created such a place. No, no, no. It's not heaven. They didn't create that. But it's the next best thing. The bivo Ministry Inner Circle. I'm telling you, man, I die every time I hear him doing that because it's so
2: funny to me. So good. And you know it's off the head? I remember every single one of those conversations. That's the that's the weird thing. The bear attacks one. I tried saving it.
1: I don't know if it's saved oh my in gosh. Voxer because Voxer had a problem and it it lost a lot of my saved messages. So
2: you know we have some great conversations on there. So you you run the Bible, uh, you know the 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 consulting one and the and the uh, I don't know what you call it. Platinum. Platinum. Yeah. So and I do the ministry one, and uh, it. It It is so fun, but I got to tell you, the uh, sometimes those conversations, the bear attacks sparked a whole, you know, what was your scariest animal encounter? And, man, it was crazy. Hey, <laughs> David, he was picking from a multitude of them. I thought Jared's was the funniest. Which one was that?
1: I, I can't even repeat it because it involved profanity in front of some missionaries when he saw a rat. In his garage. And then everyone laughs because he's the church planner and he's dropping, oh, crap. But it wasn't crap. (laughs) Because he said he saw like the world's biggest rat he'd ever seen. So So
2: Jonathan Ferguson used to be a missionary in Kenya. And he had one of the scariest videos I've ever seen. Is this the cobra? Him decapitating a cobra in his laundry room. And the thing is still trying to bite him with its head cut off. That was a terrifying video. And the thing was massive. That then would be, he's a, got, that, that'd be a great illustration of sin. <laughs> well, check this out. So what he was doing in Kenya is he's he's teaching at a Bible college. And all of a sudden, one day, he's teaching on how uh, Jesus, no kidding, throws hurls the serpent into the lake of fire. And outside, there's all this yelling outside the classroom and they run out there and there's a cobra and there's there's everyone screaming and running around. And so he grabs there's a gardener there. He grabs the hoe. He literally grabs his hoe, jumps in the air, lands. And apparently the story is that someone threw him the hoe as he was running by. He yelled for them to throw it. He jumps in the air, catches it comes down on the snake's head, decapitates it, and one move spins around, says to his class who's watching, and that's how Jesus cut off the serpent's head. <laughs> that is apparently the true story. <laughs> I remember hearing that, man. It's a thing of legend, and it was how he got the job in Long Beach. We figured if you can do that, you can come and help us in Refuge Long Beach. Does he help
1: at Refuge Long Beach?
2: He did. He did for about a year. Nice, yeah. Nice. He's now back over at the mothership doing junior high. Gotcha. Yeah. The Which Church is Planner maybe podcast even tough. Isn't the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. That's all I'm saying. Can you hear those spinning blades of death in the background? Not really. Okay. Yeah. Can you hear that? I just barely. Okay. All right. So uh, what is today's topic? So today's topic, it, you know, it's interesting. It's going to be a rare one for you guys. Um, but about half of you statistically will get a lot out of it. Um, you know, the Bible says mourn with those who mourn. I want to talk about depression in the ministry. Mm. Um, depression in the ministry is something that's not really talked about a lot, but, um, church planners are probably more susceptible to it than the average Joe. The reason why is you're often working by vocationally, you may not have enough funds. There's tensions and poles. There's a sense of, of, of being overwhelmed by the unknown. It's not just like babysitting a church or trying to build something out of nothing. And with that, um, comes, uh, a huge, uh, proclivity towards, uh, depression. And so I want to talk about depression in the ministry. Um, in, in particular, um, depression in the ministry, uh, was something that, that historically has been common and great men of God and church history have talked about it. Um, John Calvin struggled with it. It, it tends to be people that are big achievers. I, I'm not a depressed kind of guy, but I got to say, when my mom did pass away, I went through a period where I sat at my desk for an entire, almost two weeks. And could barely even think, barely put two thoughts together. And because I have a huge work ethic, I showed up and I sat there and I tried doing things. And it was like, good luck. You know, I think ended up watching some YouTube videos and trying to to answer some emails. But it was like my brain literally was so overcome with the grief of losing my mom. And I don't, I, you know, I'm karate man. I don't show it on the outside, you know, like Eddie Murphy said. But it it was there and it slowed me down. And I've never been a depressed type of person. I've never really understood. I understand it. I studied it. I worked with it as a psych nurse. But I've never understood it personally just because it, I feel unsinkable. If, if, if I have something knock me down, I'm going to get up right away. You know, if I uh, have something crush me, I'll come out of it, you know. Um, it, it doesn't linger, but that's not because I have it more together or I have anything, um, that I'm doing. It's just, it's more a temperamental thing. And there are things that you can do to fight off depression physically. There are things you can do emotionally. There are things you can do mentally, but, it's not a result of what I'm doing. I, I I just, some people are more prone to depression than
1: others. I think what we need to do is uh, we need to kind of break down. When you say depression, <clears throat> we, we need to start off by, by kind of defining that because there's different types yeah. of depression. But before we do that,
0: great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. Let's get down to the nitty gritty.
1: So let's start it with that Break down you know, a definition of depression as we're using it in our context here?
2: So there there are two, uh, well, th- there are two causes of depression. There's uh, chemical, biochemical depression. Uh, biochemical depression um, is something that literally your, uh, between your brain cells is something, you know, your neurons, you have synapses. And there's a gap that between that gap, um, you have electrical impulses that go across the gap. Um, when you are depressed, the electrical impulses in your brain go slower. And that might be because you have what's called a neurotransmitter, which if you think of that gap between two brain cells, um, there's chemicals that float in between there. And they help conduct the electrical charge across the chasm. There's a chasm. They're not touching each other, these brain cells, on a microscopic level. And so the electrical impulse travels across the neurotransmitter. Think of it as like stepping stones. The electrical charge, uh, you know, has a conduit from these chemicals and it leapfrogs from chemical to chemical and then gets to the other brain cell. Now, when you're depressed, you, your brain is either chemically depressed. Your brain is not producing enough neurotransmitters or. There are uh also uh neuroreceptors, and there's uh on the lining of those brain cells is a certain chemical. Maybe your brain's not uh producing enough chemical to line those brain cells to receive that transmission. So there is a physical phenomenon where we can observe depression taking mm-hmm. place. So when you see these Yahoos, um I, I watched a documentary about Scientology. Um, and, and it made me want to look up Tom Cruise and, you know, look at, look at some of his philosophy. Scientology will teach you that there's no such thing as depression, which is absolute bogus nonsense. And they'll say, Oh, well, we have all the facts and the pharmaceutical. Co-. No, it is a scientific phenomenon. It actually happens. And Scientology is very motivated because they say, Hey, rather than going to a psychologist or a psychiatrist and getting drugs prescribed for that. Go to us instead and spend your life's fortune buying our products. So that there is a motive behind there, not to not to uh, commit the, the fallacy ad hominem circumstantial, which says, hey, you're going to gain some. It has nothing to do with the validity of the argument, but the scientific fact proves that this is a phenomenon. The other type of depression is something where in order to deal with stress, it's called situational depression. Your body actually compartmentalizes things in your life and it starts to shut down. Much like when your body goes into shock, all of the blood is shunted to your heart and brain, your upper body. Um, in the same way, situational depression will slow you down. It's a response to anxiety. Almost all mental illness is a response in some way, shape or form to anxiety. So depression in many ways can be a, um, a, um, defense mechanism, right? It's a way of the body saying, whoa, slow down. You got a lot of stress that you're dealing with. So in the case of my mom, um, that was situational depression. The, 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 the loss of my mom was such a huge loss and such a huge stressor, um, that my body to protect my mind, um, my brain said, right, we're just going to slow down. And I literally felt like I was thinking and moving through jello, and I could not do anything about it. So this is something that happens. Um, so uh, th- those are the two major causes of depression, and it really just means when you shut down.
1: Right. And the main reason why I wanted you to address that is, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, and we've talked about mental illness and things of that nature. What we're trying to get people to understand who uh, don't experience uh, the chemical imbalance. We're trying to get them to understand that there is such a thing as a chemical imbalance. Like it's not just situational depression. Um, You know, a guy like me, that's not one of the things that i struggle with i struggle with a lot of things but i i don't struggle with depression but that's a uniqueness to me and some people who have that right who are like me who don't struggle with it they discount depression they discount the chemical uh reaction that's going on in other people's bodies right and that's why i think it's so important for people to understand that this is a a you know a real thing that lately obviously it's getting press and and people are talking about the the medical side to things, and um, obviously you've got uh, you know Rick Warren and who, who lost his son, uh, uh, who who lost his son to suicide, who dealt with a mm-hmm. lifetime of depression, and right. and a lot of people are just like, Well, oh, it's you know you're just taking the cop out when you kill yourself. It's because they don't understand what other people are going through, and the only reason why I even. Understand it, and I, I and I would say I understand it. I can't relate to it, but I would say I can understand it because I've had a family member who had to deal with it and still deals with it and will deal with it their entire life. Right, and and I mean, you know, suicide's been a real part of of this person's existence. Uh, you know, attempts constantly, the mind going back to it because they live in this chemical induced state. Right. That I can't even fathom. I literally can't because it just, to me, I understand suicide because I've been, who hasn't been situationally depressed, right? I lost my dog this week. Yeah. I've been, I've been in situational depression. Yeah. And I can't fathom waking up and spending my entire day, day after day, week after week, month after month in that kind of a funk. I,
2: I don't want to imagine it. Right. 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 I mean, the, the reality is, is that when you're, um, when you're in it, you feel like a prisoner in your own body. You know, you, you don't feel like you actually have, you don't have control. You're a victim of it. You're, it's not like you can suck it up, buttercup. It's not like you can, you know, someone comes in and says, Hey, buck up, a little camper. You'll take this hill, you know, give you a pep talk and get you out of it and that's often what happens. I mean, when uh in w- what you got to do is you just got to kind of, you know, um if it's situational, you got to get through it. I mean, and that takes time. Your body is defending itself. You know, your well, your your mind um so yeah, you're you're defending yourself um against a stressor. For example, um one of the most famous Examples of depression is Charles Spurgeon. He's not the only one, Um, but Charles Spurgeon was uh, he really suffered with depression. And when someone asked him that question, we always quoted on here, you know, do you do you ever have you ever, you know, do you ever want to quit? And he goes about, you know, uh, every other week, you know, about once a fortnight. Yeah, I, I often want to quit. Charles Spurgeon, um, started his, of course he had a lot of physical ailments, which probably led to a biochemical depression. He had problems with his liver and his kidneys and all kinds of things, but he had gout, you know, um, he had a lot of things wrong. Um, but he also at the same time went through his first depression when, um, the balcony collapsed at his church. And people died. Someone shouted, apparently, reportedly, fire, and it crushed. I can't remember, you know, when the balcony collapsed, I think it crushed about 13 people, 14 people they died. And, um, and, and Satan just used that to torment that guy. Um, he, he struggled with it, you know, like, why did that happen? He, he had to work out all this stuff about, you know, here he was preaching the gospel and this terrible accident happened in his church, made him ask a bunch of questions, but, he suffered for a long time and his his wife um, you know kind of uh, you know she was part of the breakthrough same with Martin Luther Martin Luther had fits of depression um, so bad that he literally locked himself in a room and Katie von Bora, who was his wife, literally took the door off the hinges to mm. get to him um, <laughs> Because he, he wouldn't eat, he wouldn't do anything. And she's like, hey, you're going to die in here. Um, and, you know, these are not weak people that we're talking about. And that's the first thing to understand is if you're a church planner, um, it's not a sign of weakness for you to be depressed. And so a lot of times people hide, uh, you know, depression because they feel, well, if I share this with people, they can tell me I'm not fit for ministry. Well, tell that to Spurgeon. Tell that to to Martin Luther. Tell that to William Cooper, who wrote some of the most beautiful hymns um, in the world. uh, The one of note uh, dealing with this depression is God moves in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. Um, That uh, was actually a hymn that came out of um, a time where he was under terrible depression. And if you don't know who William Cooper is, it was John Newton's best friend. Remember how cool of a guy John Newton was, right? Former slave trader, wrote Amazing Grace, yeah. went blind. He's been in movies. Um, you know, he's been depicted. He was an amazing dude. He was an Anglican minister, very real, very down to earth, having come from the background. Uh, he came through, but the reality is, um, he was trying to kill himself multiple times in multiple ways. He, um, jumped from a carriage over what he thought was a cliff. And he, um, uh, the, they had had a bunch of rain. So rather than being like a craggy bottom, he landed in water. <laughs> so he didn't die. He tried, uh, hanging himself on a tree and and the branch broke. Mm-hmm. He tried falling on a knife and the knife, uh, it, I, I think the knife itself, something happened. It, he just could not kill himself. And he, when he came out of it, and what would happen is he would sometimes go into the type of depression that, that he would hallucinate and he would, he would kind of go mad. And, um, uh, there were times where John Newton used to literally go sit with him because they were best friends and he would go sit with him and literally hold him while the guy was like going nuts. Right. Like trying to destroy a room or kill himself or and John Newton would just sit there and hold him, you know, like until the guy fell asleep or got too exhausted. Like that's crazy friendship. And so, you know, here you you will find church history is filled with men and women that God used massively. And they were no strangers to depression or discouragement. So. You know, really, <clears throat> Charles Spurgeon even, by the way, has a chapter on this called The Minister's Fainting Fits. I'll just tell you guys, you know, that Wednesday night that I went and preached recently, um, I knew it. I could feel it that night. I prayed all the way home um, Wednesday night. I've been exhausted, and I've spoken a lot recently, and everywhere I'm going, I'm underprepared, I'm overextended, and when I get out of the pulpit, I'm exhausted. Um, and, and I was driving home and I could feel it. I'm like, I'm exhausted. I know what's going to happen tomorrow morning. I'm going to wake up at some crazy hour. The enemy's going to come in telling me I didn't exalt Christ enough. I didn't, uh, preach good. I don't have the power of the Holy spirit with me. Th- these are all of his favorite weapons, right? Like when I'm done preaching, um, if you look for my sermons, by the way, this is something I have to get over. If you look for my sermons right now. You'll find that they're not really online. And the reason why they're not online is because I get embarrassed over them. And it's how Satan attacks me. Satan attacks me through my speaking, which ironically is probably one of my greatest gifts. And yet it's the area that I'm the most self-conscious about. I just, I always feel like I could have, you know, it's not a legalism. Let me, let me explain It's a huge responsibility and I feel that responsibility, I guess is what I'm saying. So Satan's always attacking me and I have to curl up into a ball, hide myself in the rock, make sure that I'm covered with the blood, you know, all those things that you do, put the breastplate of righteousness on, that's what I have to do. And so Satan will kick me, you know, one 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 side or the other. Well, when you're going, this has been 20 something years for me. But when you're new to this, it can, it can crush you. And so Spurgeon has this whole chapter called the minister's fainting fits. And he, he points out, he starts off with David and he says, Did you hear a beep just in? Yeah. Yeah. My, that was weird. I've never had that happen before. My, my, uh, some weird dial pad came up on Skype. What? So. <laughs> So, you know, it it's funny, you know, Spurgeon kind of brings up David and he says in the Psalms David was prone to depression. Why so downcast on my soul. And he goes off and he says, you know, hey, are you surprised at the end of seeing these these people that are you surprised they're men? Are are you surprised they're merely human beings? Are you are you surprised that they're just real people that God uses? I mean, that's kind of the point, right? So, you know, the first thing I say, church winners, don't beat up on yourself. Understand that that this is 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 going to be normal, and um, I'll, I'll stop talking there because I, you know, going off. Am I supposed to comment on this? You're allowed to talk now, Pete. Don't do that. Well, yeah, I, I got nothing, man. Okay, all right. I just I just figure, you know, every once in a while, you got to come up for air and <laughs> see if you're. You don't interrupt me. We've been doing this long enough. Well, the thing
1: is, you're talking about a subject that I don't don't have a lot of experience with the dealing with it on a personal level. And that's really what we're speaking to here. I've had to deal with it and can probably speak to to some degree, though I don't think necessarily greatly on how to deal with other people who have it and what I really can't speak to, but it's an issue. What about when your spouse has it and your right. spouse? Cause now you're dealing with,
2: That's I mean, a good question.
1: The stress that you're under, right? Let's say it's your church. Let's say you're out there, you're, you know, preaching and meeting with people in the church. And then you got a spouse that is going through this. I mean, that's just enough to, that's
2: that's enough to tear down everything. Mentally. I think so too. And and you have to know how to deal with that at that time. So, you know, there's a couple things. Number one, that, you know, Spurgeon's first point in lectures of my student is some of us have physical ailments. And he, he put some of his down to the fact that he had a frail phys, physical condition or his physique. And, and that surely affects it. So if you're sick, think of the times when you're sick. Are you a chipper? Are you positive? No, you're miserable, and that affects it. So people who have physical ailments tend to struggle with this more. Not everybody who has a physical. Some people are amazing, you know, their bodies thrash, but their psyche is good. But it's just a tendency, and so um, often when you have something physical, it 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 it, it affects you. But then, and I'll, I'll get to the spouse part, but. The, the other thing is because there is a physical link between depression. I remember we used to um, deal with people that were so severely depressed in the hospital that they couldn't shower. Like literally they wouldn't wash themselves. They 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 couldn't get out of bed. They couldn't get dressed. They, there is such a state of depression to where you literally don't even have the motivation to move. Mm. And, and And people have a hard time picturing that. But that's how much the brain has physically slowed down. And so you have to make them eat. You have to make them get up and get in. And, and the hardest thing was we used to have to make people take showers. And When I say make, um, we would not leave them alone until they took a shower. And all they wanted was for us to leave them alone. So we just keep bothering them. It's time for your shower. I'm sorry. You know, you need to take a shower. Mm. This is my job. This is my knowing that when they took the shower, they would feel better. Right. Um, we would make them walk. Right. Look, you have to walk. No, I don't. No, no, I don't want to. Listen, I just need you to walk to the end of the hallway and back. I'll be right, and I'll you can come right back in here. It's it's really hard, right? It's not an easy job, but that's the stuff we had to do because when the body starts moving and gets exercise, it produces endorphins. Endorphins make you feel better. So there is a brain or mind body connection. They cannot be denied. And so uh, you couldn't just throw drugs at people. You had to make sure they were clean. They were hygienic. You had to make sure that they got exercise. There was all kinds of things. Diet plays into this. So the first thing that I say to anyone suffering depression is, are you exercising? Are you getting enough sleep? And are you eating right? And by eating right, I don't mean are you gluten-free. I mean, are you eating vegetables? Are you eating fruits? Are you getting your vitamins? Are you getting your minerals? Are you... Eating fiber? Are you, you know, there's all those things. Are you eating enough protein? Are you, you know, these these things all have to do with it. And healthy choices will make you literally gain energy. If you don't eat good food, you will not have energy. Mm. Just period. So that's the first thing. Second thing is, have you identified, in the case of situational depression, have you identified what's causing the stressor? If you're like, it's the ministry. You're probably right. You know, ministry is really tough. And so this goes to the, to the, you know, it could be, like you said, you know, it could be something else, um, in your life. You know, it could be like for me, it wasn't ministry. It wasn't, it was my mom. But when it comes to identifying the issue, you just need to actually say, what is the major stressor in my life? That is probably, or it could be death by a thousand paper cuts, could be four, five, six things that combined you you're stressed right but kind of like that old police song synchronicity too where he like mentions all the stressors this poor guy has this family man as he's driving home from work and um you know and and, and he's pent he's pent up and he's he's you know kind of pressing it all down and and brushing under the rug and something's got to give he keeps saying you know he somewhere something has to give and 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 that's Often what happens eventually we burn out and depression sets in. So that's how it works. It's a response, like I said, to anxiety. So identify the stressors in your life. And then once you've done that, you need other people. And that's kind of where I'm going with if your major stressor is the ministry, then you need people to carry that burden with you, right? Mm. It makes no sense in today's modern model of ministry. Of why someone would try to carry an entire church or church plant or congregation by themselves, even a small group. Man, like Jesus sent everybody out two by two. Paul, when he's in prison, is just writing to people. And, and in every epistle he says, there's only one where he says, um, I'm alone. No one's with me, you know, or at first no one stood by me. Um, but Paul always has companions, even when he's in prison. People are visiting him. He's summoning people. People. He's not going through it alone. In fact, Paul learned very early on, do not try to do this alone. And Paul always had other people he could share the ministry with. And so team leadership is going to be a lifesaver for you if your biggest stressor is ministry. Because you'll always have someone to talk to. You'll always have companionship. You'll always have someone to share the burden. You won't be shouldering the whole, uh, you know, mountain of tasks by yourself. And, um, you know, that, that's a big deal. The other thing is, are you praying? And, you know, prayer, uh, is one of the biggest, um, factors in dealing with anxiety. Mm. You know, when, when you can go to God with whatever's bothering you, whatever's stressing you out. I mean, Paul, Paul says it, right? He says, be anxious for nothing, but with all supplication and thanksgiving, cast all your cares upon him, knowing he cares for you. I mean, right there, Paul's, you know, Paul's way ahead. I mean, talk about psychological insight way ahead of his time. Paul knows right there. And he's like, Hey, I got a remedy for your anxiety. Here's an interesting thing. So one of my assistants, his name
1: is Wayne. We were uh, talking today and he he forwarded to me because he's been doing some article work for me. He forwarded to me uh, some highlights from a study on the benefits of meditation. And, you know, think about how many times we're told, you know, to meditate on certain things. Hold on a second. You guys taking off? Give me a hug. Oh, thank you, baby girl. Thank you, buddy. Boo. Yes. Yes. You see Peyton?
0: <laughs>
1: My toothless wonder of a kid. He's missing all Hey. All right, guys, have fun. I'll see you tonight. Oh, that,
2: that's Peyton. Jesus steak. <laughs> Yeah, that look that look she's giving me is awesome. I know that was right? priceless. All right, that is a
1: microphone. Yeah, all right, love you, home. What time are you home tonight? Eight o'clock. All right, have fun. I, I would have gone with you, but you know, I gotta work.
2: <laughs> Peyton, Peyton, Peyton.
1: All right, see you guys. You still so need to
2: keep that in there. What's that? <laughs> <it? laughs> you so need to keep your son in there going beating, 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 beating. <laughs> Jesus steak. <laughs> Jesus steak. Yes. She does not know. The look she was giving me was awesome. It was like, I know. I, I don't know what you are.
0: So the here,
1: here's the uh, here's the highlights from this benefits of meditation. And it just it. Totally makes me think about, you know, how many times in the New Testament we're told to meditate on certain things. Yep. Um, so this neurosurgeon, uh, Harvard Medical School, Massachusetts General Hospital, they did this study. The significance of overwhel- is is overwhelming what they found. Let's see here. Individuals who meditate ultimately have more gray matter in the frontal cortex. Most notably, this gray matter is preserved in spite of aging. Uh, it's well documented that our cortex shrinks as we get older. It's harder to figure things out and remember things. But in this one region of the prefrontal cortex, 50-year-old meditators had the same amount of gray matter as 25-year-olds. Um, in other words, as a result of transformations in the brain, individuals who meditate have a better chance of retraining their memory functions in old age. And uh, let's see, in the study, the average meditation time was 27 minutes a day. And results were obtained in just uh, eight weeks after starting the practice. I just yep. find that really fascinating, you know. And the Bible tells us meditate on these things, meditate yep. on you know certain things.
2: So yeah, absolutely, man. You know, prayer. People who pray tend to live about, on average, research shows about ten years longer. In the same way that people have pets, you know, they find that people who have pets or people who are married. Did Did you have They're- to go to the pets already? <laughs> <laughs> too soon too soon so uh you know all these things add up so you know spiritually if you're disconnected from god then that's also going to affect your psyche and your well-being i kid you not on days where i've been like err you know i'm 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 you know time got away or whatever and i'm rushing out the door it's not the same yeah it, like the whole day is clouded versus you know having a day where you just I don't know, man. Like I just sense God with me. I see him more. I see him in things more when I've connected with him in the morning and laid my whole day. And it's just, it's different. It's totally different. But, um, but yeah, you know, w- one of the things that, you know, you're going to need someone to talk to. And, and that's one of the things that with temptation or any struggle that you have, it thrives in the dark. You have. To talk to people you have to share like you got to get over being ashamed like oh I'm depressed and I'm supposed to be this leader you're human you know like you have to be real and you have to tell people hey I'm depressed you know I I see so you're not saying I got to go to a psychiatrist but if you can't pull out of it then maybe you should go see somebody I would start with a counselor and if the licensed counselor refers you on you know if he does it first visit oh, I think you need to see a shrink yeah, probably not the guy to see, but, you know, if someone's going to talk to you a little bit, you know. Um,
1: oh, one of the things, too, that I'm going to throw out there, guys, because this this could be you. I'm going to tell you a little story, a little ditty. About Jack a, Diane. About a church planner who shall remain nameless in this story. Uh, <clears throat> he's a church planner that uh, I've had the opportunity to support over, uh, over, you know, some time. And at one point, he, I could tell he kind of didn't want to bring it up, but he kind of brings it up to me. He's like, "Hey, you know what, man? Um, I'm really feeling like I need to shut down my church plant. You know, I, I need more time with my family. Uh, mentally, I need more time. Uh, you know, the stress that I'm feeling, this, that, and the next. And I could tell that he was worried in bringing that up with me. And the only reason I can think, cause why would anyone care about bringing that up with me? Dude, I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, if you feel like you got to shut down your church plant, you know, shut down your church plant. Like your health is more important than the church plant. Right. By far. Your family, way more important than the church plant by far. Right. But I think what it was in his case, I think it was because I've supported him. And he's afraid, you know, I'm going to someone who supported me financially. What are they going to think when I tell them I might be closing this down? And I'll tell you my view on it, and this certainly won't be the view of everybody, but my view is I supported you because you were doing what God had called you to do. Right. And do you think that I'm going to be upset if your church plant doesn't take off? I'm personally not going to be upset. Honestly, that's God's job to make the church plant Mm -hmm. work. Your job is to show up and do what God's called you to do. But I would just encourage you right now, if you're going through this right emotionally, you've got depression coming in. Maybe it's a spouse that's dealing with this. And you're like, I don't know if I can keep doing this church plant. Look, I'm not the one here that's telling you what God's telling you to do. I'm not God. But what I will say is this, dude, take care of your family. Take care Mm -hmm. of yourself. And if it means you got to walk away from the church plan or put it on hold, do it. Right. Because that is not God isn't sitting there going, "Well, you know, I just sent you all those folding chairs and <laughs> now you're going to quit." You know what I'm saying? Like that's not yeah.
2: Take care of your family. Take care of yourself. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely, man. And you know, you you brought up earlier about, you know, what about when your spouse is depressed. Um, you know, I, I think at that point you've you've got to, like you said, put your family first. If if your wife is saying, Hey, I I don't know if I can do this church plant thing anymore, then you say, Hey, n- no problem, right? Again, if you're on a team leadership, you the team takes over. That's why you're on a team. It means that you can step out. Maybe they could still pay you. I mean, maybe you say, Hey guys, I got to take a sabbatical. Um, maybe it's time to get out all together because your wife might say, you know, I just, I don't want to break. I just think we need to get out. You have to listen to that. Your wife might say, or, or, you know, spouse, I could be talking to women here. It could be women church planners listening going, oh, it's my husband. Um, your spouse might say, Hey, um, I actually, You know, it's not the ministry. It's just I'm going through this. No, I don't think getting on the ministry will change how I'm feeling. So, don't assume it's the ministry. But also, don't try to quote unquote protect the ministry. Your job is to protect your family. And and I
1: think part of the problem is as a society, we think ministry starts and stops inside of a building, right? And that's. That's not where ministry is. I mean, that can be a place that it happens, but that's really good. Being, being in ministry, it's being out among people. It's, it's, you know, um, how's the verse go? Uh, they'll know us by our love. Right. Yeah. And how are they going to know us by our love if we're not out among them? Right. But if you're just stuck inside of your building and you, you think you're walking away from ministry, you might be walking away from that aspect of ministry, but you're not walking away from ministry
2: by by
1: if that's what you have to do. Walk away well, from that's the it. Morning.
2: And you're walking away from ministry by continuing in it if what you your wife really mm. needs is for you to minister to her. Yeah. You are walking away from ministry. You're just walking away from the greater ministry. The greater ministry is your spouse. Yeah. And if your spouse needs you to stop being Mr. Pastor Man or Mr. Church Planner Man or Mr. Big Shot to stop and look at your wife and say, Hey, I need to be there for you. Um, then that's what you got to do because you're never going to have health in, in your, either your life ministry or church. If what is, is needed at that point is for you to step away and, and look after home team. Um, like I said, like you can still go on if, if your spouse is like, Hey, look, this is no guilt thing. Like I have no problem putting ministry on hold, but it's not ministry, babe. It's just, it's something I'm going through. And I don't think we'd be any, you know, you guys need to agree on what the plan is. So it's not like, Oh, wait, your spouse is depressed. You got to get out. It's not that you just may, you may be able to stay in. But again, team is a key. You might just need to say, Hey, um, team. This is where we're at right now, and the, this is what I'm having to juggle. It's something will probably need to change once you clue into the fact that, hey, my spouse is is um, depressed, um, and, and I know for a fact, listening right now, I know some of you guys are out there, and you're like, thank you for bringing up the spouse, Pete, because um, it's not me I got a problem with, um, but you need a team. You need a team of people around you. You can't care for a depressed spouse. And do ministry. And if you're bivocational, well, good luck with that too, right? I mean, you just really, mm. sometimes you just got to stop things. You know, sometimes you got to just, you know, slow down and be there for that person. And because if you don't, eventually your spouse is going to resent the ministry if they don't already. Yep. So something will need to change. It doesn't mean you got to get out. But like I said, if your spouse says, yeah, I, I, I actually think that's the answer, then get out, right? Or you will never be back in it because when you crash, you'll crash hard. Right. And you will never go back in again yep. if it gets to that point. Whereas I always tell guys, you can always take a break. And if you got a team, the team will be like, hey, we're holding the door, man. We're good. Yep. You know, it's the beauty of it. So, hey, that that's probably all that we have time for. Guys, real quick word um, before we get into our next bit. Um, uh, reaching the unreached is still by the way, on sale in bulk discounts for $9 a book. You can go to reaching and you can check that out. And if you want to take your core team, your church plant or your church through it, I promise you it will help mobilize your entire congregation on mission. Want to talk about having a team? Um, get everybody in your church to be a part of your team. Do you want to know what depresses me? Yeah, I, I'm sure it's the same thing that depresses me, Pete. Payroll. Oh yeah. IRS complaints. Oh. Yeah, Insurance. Book, bookkeeping. Websites. Ah. Oh, you know you're depressing me right now. I'm but just. Do you know what the solution to that? Is do you know what the antipsychotic prescription I would give to you for that, Pete? Simplifychurch dot com. Is <gasps> that you? That was pretty good.
1: Wait, 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 wait. Here we go.
2: What? <laughs> that should just be their 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 cliff now from now on. That should just always go on that commercial.
1: <laughs> what what is this simplifychurch.com and where do I find
2: simplifychurch.com? Hey, Pete, simplifychurch.com is an organization by church planners for church planners to help you meet all of your giving, bookkeeping, and IRS compliance needs. It's a dedicated team of professionals uh, who will help you manage. Uh, yeah, I, did I, I you forget? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just go there. Someflychurch.com. <laughs> Afternoon podcast again. Well, that's that's awesome. Why don't you go ahead and close this out there, Mr. Jones? All right, guys. Well, hey, thanks for joining us today on the Church Planner Podcast. This has been Peyton Jones and Pete Mitchell reminding you if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
0: That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. This is Pete Mitchell. This is Nigel calling for Pete Mitchell. Pete, it's Nigel. Please call me back. It's important that I speak with you, Pete.